Good morning. Great to be with you. I just want to give you a bit of feedback before I minister. I got back on Monday night, I think it was, from a combined trip to Cambodia and to Thailand. And thank you for for those who prayed. I know I got prayer over one of the congregations. And uh, it really was an amazing time. I got Keith, uh, Keith and Mona. I think many of you will know them. Um, they have planted in a town called Huayen, which is halfway down Thailand. And I got Keith to join me. And so we went together to uh, Phnom Penh. And uh, it was a church planting conference that I was got asked to go and speak at. And uh, I'd never been before to other countries, actually. So it was a bit of an um, unknown for me. Uh, all I remember of Cambodia was uh, we had a couple of ex-Vietnam vets and Cambodian wartime vets train us when I was in the army up in uh, Zimbabwe. And uh, so th- th- that was my uh, kind of impression of the nation. But uh, it was amazing to go and see and meet a lovely guy called Chin Hu. Chin Hu, who... Um, he lost his mother, his grandmother, and his brother in the whole Khmer Rouge uh, debacle, a real stain on the soul of the nation. From 75 to 79, there was this uh, Red Army effectively came, and they say, they estimate, three million Cambodians were killed. And uh, we got to see, heartbreaking, a uh, school that had been turned into a torture chamber. And uh, again, they say something like 20,000 people were tortured to death there. And, uh, and so almost every leader I met was a first-generation Christian. There's a whole generation that were taken out and wiped out. But the testimony of Chin Ho, uh, he's a real, I think he's an apostolic man. He's quite young. But he planted churches in 17 of the 25 provinces of Cambodia. And uh, so I just was sharing some of the stories, some of the truth from the Word of God around uh, things that we know, and they were so teachable, they were so uh, open to us. Uh, He asked me, come and be an apostolic fathering voice into his world, and uh, so we'll see what happens into the future. But it's it's an incredible place, crazy traffic, they say the worst in the world. And uh, I wouldn't really argue. And then I spent two days down in the church plant in Hua Hin with uh, Keith and Mona. They're doing really well. Uh, just a, a gathering of uh, a number of folks in their home. And so it's so good to be together with them. So thank you for praying. Please keep praying. My prayer has always been God opened doors for effective service to us. And, um, and so that's what we're praying. We don't just want to go and preach on a circuit. We want to go through doors that God opens to us. And it seems that Cambodia may be an open door for the future, but um, time will tell. But it's good to be here. It's good to be back with you for a little while. We've we got, got another 10 days or so here, and then we go to Australia. So please be praying for us there. I want to just introduce this week uh, as Rob and the elders have invited us to come in in a, in a kind of apostolic role, fathering role this week. And uh, I was in prayer and almost as per normal, God speaks to me in the airplane, maybe because it's most often where he finds me. 
And so I was praying for this week and uh, I felt the Lord say this, that he always has been seeking, but now especially, and I feel like this is for the, the Well of Life Week. That was my context of prayer. He's always been seeking, but now he's seeking new, both higher and deeper levels of uh, buy-in. And I was reminded of the scripture in John chapter 4, verse 23. Jesus speaking, and he says this, The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people. I guess that's a phrase that gripped me and kind of is going to unwrap and unfold in the, in the, in the word that I do want to preach this morning. The Father is seeking such people. Those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. For God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. So there's four things as we have four meetings through this weekend and going into next week. Four areas where I felt God wants to uh, look for deeper and higher levels. One is the one I want to speak about this morning, uh, the, the buy-in of responsibility. The second thing is conformity into his image. The third is maturity. And the fourth is intimacy. And the Bible speaks so often about higher and deeper levels in God. And so I want to say, folks, this is the hour. If ever there'd been an hour in the church that we need to go higher in him and deeper in him, it's now. The days have, it's always been, I, I feel like the fathers, he, well, the Bible says this, 2,000 years, he's been seeking for such people. But especially today, especially coming out of these first generation Cambodian Christians and looking around and seeing their absolute hunger and desperation for God. They say there were 7,000 something Christians before the Khmer Rouge, before this uh, terrible uh, slaughtering of Cambodians. Now there are millions. If ever there's been a day and an hour where we need to see the church go higher in Christ. And the Bible speaks about how high we need revelation of how high and how wide and how long and how deep is the love of God. We need revelation of that and the deep truths of God, which the Spirit of God will show us. And the Bible says there, he, God is spirit. And so I think there's a spirituality. Those who seek God must seek Him in spirit and in truth. There's something that has to shift in the heart and mind of you and me and the church. God is spirit, and he's looking for spiritual people, those who are involved in spiritual warfare, in this high praise that God is calling us to, those who are able to pray in the spirit and walk in the spirit. And so we need to trust God. That's my prayer for this week while we're with you, with Shemaine and I with you, is that God is somehow today going to take, I hope, all of us on a deeper and a higher walk with him. Amen? So let me talk on this first thing of responsibility. And, and again, I, I, it was a word that, that the Lord spoke to me in, in an airplane about two weeks or so ago. And this was the word, three words. That's what I felt the Lord say. Unlock the treasure. Unlock the treasure. 
And uh, so it was really interesting to hear Rika's word this morning. It's great confirmation. Would you turn to me there, Matthew chapter 16? I know our time is limited this morning. But when God speaks a revelation, as Rob said, there's always a purpose. Revelation is not just for information. Revelation is for transformation. And with revelation is always an invitation. And we're going to see that in a moment. Matthew 16, verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of of the living God. And Jesus answered and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So there's a revelation that breaks in. Peter, I don't think, even knew what he was saying. You are Messiah. Incredible revelation for the Jewish people at that time. You are the Son of the living God. The theology around that, if Peter hadn't figured it out, this kind of fisherman dude. But God broke into his life with revelation and revelation is for transformation and revelation is always invitation by God. How many want to walk in revelation this morning? You must also be prepared then to follow the invitation. It's like a bait with a hook. We say, God, would you show us? And when he does, there's always an invitation with it. And he said this to Peter, goes on and said this to Peter. I tell you, you are Peter, you are Petros, you are a piece of a rock. But on this Petra, on this massive rock, on this revelation, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Incredible moment in the walk of the disciples. Revelation had broken in into Peter and, 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 God, and Jesus says to Peter, on this revelation, on this revelation that I am the Christ, I am Messiah, and I am the Son of God, he said, I'm going to build my church. And it's going to be an advancing church. And I want to say, folks, as I said a while back, the church of Jesus Christ is unstoppable. What communism tried to do and Buddhism and, and other things in all of these different nations, all of these isms that have come, Nazism, the church, it seems at times is crushed, it seems at times go underground, it seems at times to disappear, but at every single occasion it rises and is stronger than before. Look at the church in China. But there's a, there is a responsibility and this word around unlocked treasure means a couple of things. Number one, it means that you and I are treasures. I mean, the Lord speaks to my heart and says, unlock the treasure. You are a treasure. How many know that? All right, so three of us are hugely excited. And rejoice in these things. Deuteronomy 7 verse 6. For you are 
Say, I am. am. (laughs) All right, that's about another third. For you are a people holy to the Lord, your God. The Lord God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession. You are a treasure to God. The problem is, as, as the prophetic word came this morning, and I'm absolutely convinced, is that there are miraculous treasures locked up but for, for one reason and another, hidden or buried, that God this morning wants to begin to unlock. And there's a key to the kingdom. There are keys to unlock the treasure, keys of authority. Keys always speak of authority. But I, I'm convinced, folks, and I really feel like the Lord has stirred me around this thing, is that there's been an illegitimate authority, which possibly is a perversion of a godly authority, That's what illegitimate means. It's a reversal of or the opposite to. And and so often we see God-given authority in parents, in husbands and wives, in uh, 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 governmental authorities that take God's given authority and pervert it. How many people are, are, are the result of a broken family here, a divorced family? That's a God-given institution for whatever the reason, and it's been broken down. It's certainly a part of the enemy's plan, but so many lives are ruined through, a, through a, 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 an authority that has been perverted. And then there's been multiple remarriages and, and divorce and single parents, and, and, and the, the chaos we have in society today is because of the anti-anointing, the anti-Christ. And I believe that that, that the enemy comes, this illegitimate authority comes to do a number of things. It comes to lock us up. Jesus says uh, in Luke eleven fifty two, speaking to the religious people of the day, woe to you experts in the law because you've taken away the key to knowledge. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter it, nor will you let those enter who are trying. This is what religion does. It takes a key. It's an illegitimate authority. God hates religion. He hates a form of godliness that has no power. He hates a form of godliness that brings, uh, um, causes people to be locked up. And he said, woe to you. Woe to you religious people. You've got the key of knowledge and you've taken it away and you've locked the kingdom of heaven in men's faces, people's faces. You've not gone in and you've, you've, you're stopping people coming in. And I feel like so many people, I meet them all the time who are just the products or byproducts of being locked away because of illegitimate authority and religion. Illegitimate authority wants to trespass, Ephesians 4, 26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. The enemy, this illegitimate authority is looking to trespass on your ground, on your life, in your marriage, as well as in mine. And so don't give him a foothold. And there's very practical 
teaching and theology here. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. How many hold to that truth, married people? Listen to the counsel of the Holy Spirit who wants you to walk in freedom. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give a topography. Don't give a foothold to the devil. It's there to bind people. And the Lord, again, has just stirred my heart around this thing of binding and loosing. That we've got authority given, delegated by God to bind and to loose. And Jesus talks about those. He said, you can't go into a strong man's house unless you first bind the strong man. Then you're able to plunder his goods. And the enemy has come and he's bound up people in all kinds of different areas. But we've got a key for it. That's the good news this morning. We've got a key of authority given by Jesus to unlock and release treasures in people's lives. And they're also there, these illegitimate authorities are there to rule and to manipulate. And again, I've just been stirred. There's some great stories. I'll just read the one about uh, this, this manipulating illegitimate authority. The Bible speaks about many things. One of them is the Jezebel spirit. And I've heard so much about this. And I've heard so many husbands rename their wives. <clears throat> Wrongly. Because God wants the husband to change, you ugly thing. First. First. You lay down your wife, your life for your wife. <laughs> don't, don't lay, well, anyway, let me not go there. <laughs> lay down your life for your wife. Love her like Jesus loves the church, and you'll see Jezebel transformed. But the Jezebel spirit is a legitimate or illegitimate one, but it's in Scripture, and it's the power behind the authority. It's the power behind the throne. And so both in Persia, it's interesting in Daniel chapter 10, God is speaking. It says in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, Daniel chapter 10. And then in Daniel chapter 10 verse 13, when the archangel comes, he said, the prince over Persia has delayed me for 21 days. There's Cyrus the king who's king on the earth in Persia, but there's a prince over Persia, there's a power behind the authority. And that is the Jezebel spirit. That's the manipulating, dominating spirit that we need to arrest and we need to bind with the authority of Jesus' name. And there's going to be an unlocking today, I believe. The Bible speaks of Jesus, who is the key and who holds the keys of death and of hell. A word or two on treasure, and then I'm going to give you seven quick things. When Scripture speaks about seven, uh, about treasure, this is what it says. Matthew 6, verse 21. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. What you treasure is where your heart is. And so it's really easy, especially for God, 
But even for us, as we look at people and find out where your treasure is, where is it? And I feel like these are some of the things that need to be unlocked this morning. So your heart's passion indicates what really is a treasure to you. See, we can come up with all the fancy words and all the fancy terminology and all the fancy posturing. But where your heart's passion is, that shows us where your treasure is. Scripture also says what your hearts produce indicate the quality of the treasure that fills it. Luke 6, 45. A good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. And so does the heart's language indicate the quantity of the treasure that fills it. Luke 6 and 45, the second part. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So you don't have to be around people for too long to find out what they treasure. Amen? And it's a real good indicator. And I feel like God the Father this morning is seeking. He always has been. But He's seeking such people who will do several things. Let me touch on these seven things. Obviously can't go into detail with each of them. Seven treasures I want to hone in. There are many more, but amongst the many, there's seven I want to touch on. Number one, the seven treasures that I want to trust God unlock in people's hearts and lives. Number one is the kingdom of God. I read this a little while back, and I'm convinced it's true that the gospel of salvation has replaced the gospel of the kingdom. What I mean by that is the kingdom of God is absolutely front and center of what Jesus said he's going to build. I'm building my church, and he said this gospel of the kingdom must first be preached in all the world as a witness, and, and then the end will come, Matthew 24. It's the gospel. It's the good news. Of course it starts with salvation. You cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again, Jesus said. But it's about his kingdom. It's about the king's domain, the kingdom of God. It's about his rule. It's about his authority. It's about reestablishing, taking back what the enemy has stolen. And it starts with salvation. But so many people, so much of the church has replaced the gospel of the kingdom with the gospel of salvation. It's kind of salvation and there's the end. You're saved, that's the end. And it's brilliant. Of course we want you to be saved. We want all men to be saved. But it doesn't stop there. That's your entrance. This phenomenal, glorious, supernatural entrance into the rule and reign of Christ. It's the kingdom needs to be unlocked in our lives. And Jesus speaks about the kingdom massively in the book of Matthew. Matthew 13, 44 says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and he covered up. Now watch what he says here. He's talking about the kingdom. And he said it's like a treasure. 
says this, then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys the field. What's the Lord saying? Firstly, there's a treasure of the kingdom that needs to be uncovered. And when he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, folks, he's talking about being sold out for him. For joy, I have found the kingdom. I have found the king of the kingdom. And for such great joy, and may this be descriptive of you, and if it isn't, may we unlock it today. I found the king, I found the kingdom, and everything I have now belongs to Jesus. I'm absolutely sold out for Jesus. That happened to me nearly 40 years ago now. I saw the king and the kingdom, and nothing else mattered to me. And that's not being radical, that's being normal in the kingdom. Amen? Because this is what Jesus is teaching. When you find the treasure for the joy of finding the king, you go and sell everything. Now that doesn't mean you've got to sell everything. But it means in your mind you have. Nothing belongs to me anymore. Because I've found this treasure called the kingdom of heaven. The rule of God. The king's domain. Folks, and so much of the struggles and the battles that Christians have all around the world in every culture is because they haven't obeyed and found this truth. It's I'll take this little aspect of God, tag it on. This is my Friday thing that I do and the odd scripture I read and the odd meeting I may attend and somehow we think that's okay. There's a treasure that we need to unlock this morning in your heart and my heart. And there's so much more I want to say about the kingdom. You've got to understand the, the King Jesus said this when he taught on the parable of the seed and the sower. He said, you don't understand this parable. And he's speaking about the kingdom. He said, you're not going to understand anything of what I'm speaking about. Because all of the kingdom runs on seed and sowing and root and fruit. That's the kingdom. And so it's, it's not just about sowing. It's about seed and growing and fruit and root. Of the four types of soil that Jesus speaks about, conditions of the hearts of man, mankind, he said only one takes the seed in, only one produces a root, and only one produces fruit. Only 25% of all that is done in the kingdom teaching is productive. How are you doing this morning? Is the kingdom to you this treasure that you found? And for this, everything is on the altar. Absolutely everything. Number two, unlock the treasure of salvation. And this was a strange one as I was kind of prepping on the airplane. But folks, I'm convinced that we need to see the joy of our salvation restored to the church. 
what it means to be saved. Peter says this, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18, he said, It wasn't with perishable things like silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, the lamb without blemish. How can it be? And it links back to what I said in the beginning. You've got to see yourself as a treasure because God does. You are not redeemed with puffy things like silver and gold that we think are so precious to us. He said, no, it's not that stuff. It's with the precious blood of the unblemished lamb of Jesus Christ. You were redeemed. Wow. I'm blood washed by the lamb. Whatever I was in my BC days, now I'm a treasured possession of Jesus. And that ought to blow your socks or stockings off. If you wear such things these days. Or sandals. Is that true of you? Do you get up in the morning and just say, thank God for my salvation. I am saved by the blood of the Lamb. Folks, this is a treasure beyond treasures. And you're never going to see yourself the way the Father does unless you have this treasure redeemed in your life. And if you aren't saved today, if you're not born again today, you can be. God loves you so much. And he showed it on the cross. There's a beauty in salvation that the Bible speaks about. I will greatly rejoice, Isaiah 61, in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for he's clothed me with garments of salvation. And he's covered me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a, uh, himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. This is such a big deal. You know, the disciples came back after being commissioned and sent out and they were, they were rejoicing about the power of God. Oh, demons are subject to us even in your name. And Jesus said, I saw stuff happening in the spirit. That's amazing. But he said, don't rejoice about the power. Rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's something to rejoice over, folks. This is a treasure the church needs to redeem today. And it seems so much of the church is so power hungry, and I love the power of God. But it can never replace the beauty of our salvation. And the joy of our salvation. Every day. Every day I'm adorned like a bride. Can you imagine me as a bride? What a beautiful bride I would make. I take the Lord's breath away. I mean, look at this. Number three. Once to unlock the treasure of the spirit and the supernatural. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 1 that he's given us the seal of ownership. 
And he's put the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee, as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. And there's so much to say around the gifts of God. But it's such an obvious one to me, folks, that there is buried treasure here in this room. And this, I'm talking about here about a responsibility this morning. That God wants us to dig out, to unlock the treasures that He has put in your hearts. It says the Holy Spirit gives the gifts as He wills. And with the gifts that we all have received, it says, by the grace of God, let's use our gifts to, to serve others. And I know I've said this before, but my challenge while I have breath is going to be this. What have you been grace gifted with? I believe the Father is seeking such people who are taking His gifts, who are taking His anointing and doing a good job in stewarding it. It's our responsibility. The Bible says we've got spiritual weapons of warfare. Come on. Though we walk in the flesh, Paul says, 2 Corinthians 10, we do not war according to the flesh. But we've got divine weapons of warfare. What does that mean? Why is the church so wussy? So often, oh, Mike, you don't know my situation. Oh, you don't know you have divine weapons of warfare to destroy and pull down every stronghold of the enemy, every attack, every lie of the devil, every accusation that he brings. Come on, we have divine armor. We have divine weapons of warfare. But we need to start unlocking these treasures, folks. Stop being such a wuss. I plead with you. That's a new Hebraic slash Greek slash whatever word. A wuss. Do you understand what wuss is? It sounds like it. It is what it sounds like. Look in the mirror when you get home or go into the bathroom at the back then. I'm not a wuss. Amen. I've got divine weapons of warfare. Watch out the devil. Watch out the kingdom of darkness. Watch out every lying accusation of the enemy. It's coming down. We want to unlock that today. Very quickly. The treasure of leadership. There's a treasure of leadership. I loved what we saw this morning. It's such a value to us and it's such a value to God. He is seeking such people. And they're not more important than you if you went up on this platform today. But we believe everyone is a potential leader. And you need to see your kids. Start young with your kids. We were prophesying. In fact, both our boys were... were <laughs> We were with the evangelist called Reinhard Bonke and we had them both dedicated by Reinhardt, the Lionheart. And he put his big German paw on both our boys' heads and he prophesied over them. Jeez, if you get prayed by Reinhardt, you're gonna be something in the ministry. 
Hallelujah. Jesus name. I ain't this little kid. I in Jesus name. You will be a prophet to the nations. Hallelujah. <laughs> Why not? It says that Moses, his, his parents saw that he was no ordinary child. We've got to start calling him out young. And let me just say this about leadership and then I'll move on. I was reminded about, you know, leaders don't come, batteries included. We don't see someone wandering here perfectly. The perfect leader has come. They are, I am, you are a diamond in the rough. I felt the Lord's challenged me around this thing of diamonds. And I'd love to open it up a bit, but I don't have time. Read 1 Corinthians 1, which talks about not many were wise, not many were noble, but God chose morons. Imagine. That's what it says in the Greek. It's moros, which we'll get moron from. God chose morons. I read that as a young Christian. I said, I'm in. I'm in. I qualify. Woohoo! I didn't play first team rugby, but I'm a moron. Yeah, baby. I'm not a wuss. I'm a moron. But I'm going to be a moron for Jesus. And God chooses morons. And that means dull and stupid and a blockhead. And it chose the weak, that means feeble and impotent and strengthless. And he chose the low, that means of unknown descent and base. And he chose the despised, that means contemptible, least esteemed, nothing. God chose nothings in the world. Even the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are. So no human being will boast in his presence. You are a diamond in the rough. The word diamond actually in Greek means unbreakable. Adamas. And I need to move on. Number whatever it is. Five I think. And really quickly we need to unlock the treasure of God's word. Proverbs 2 and verse 1, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of God. You want to know about God? Read his word. Treasure these. This is the treasure. You don't ignore the treasure. You don't go to the treasure once in the blue moon. We need to have a whole Bible theology. Number six, unlock the treasure of an eternal perspective. I love this. An eternal perspective. I got picked up by a, a most of you will know Rigby Wallace. Years and years and years ago, I went down to minister with him in his church. And he picked me up in his brand new motor car. And I said, hey, Riggs, this is a great car. He said, thanks, it's going to burn. I said, well, this is South Africa. It's quite likely. 
to happen. And we drove, and he had just moved in. I'd seen his old home, but he had moved since I was last there with him, and we drove into his brand new house. Double story, beautiful, swimming pool, amazing. I said, Riggs, great house. He said, thank you, it's going to burn. And that's how the, the weekend went with Rigby. It's gonna, thanks, but it's going to burn. He said that about everything except his wife. Folks, why is this a treasure? Because it seemed like we hold on to things so tightly. Like this is eternal. It's going to burn. It's only the things that are done for him that will last. It says in Ecclesiastes 3.1, He has made everything beautiful in its time, and he has set eternity in the hearts of the human, of man. God has set eternity in your heart and my heart. There ought to be an eternal perspective that is a treasure today. I, you know, I, I love my bed. We actually need to replace it. But I do love it. And I love my pillows. I had the hardest pillows in Phnom Penh I've ever slept with. It was like that illustration that we had of Jacob having a rock under his head. I think, why do I do this? There was fish that we got given to eat that looked like it walked onto the table. I've never seen anything like this. And I'm guessing it got caught in the river that no one drinks out of. And I think, why do I do this? And I sat for hours in tuk-tuks in the worst driving in the world, and I thought, why do I do this? And it's because of this. Because I met a whole bunch of beautiful Cambodians, and I hope we're gonna somehow partner together with them and help see many, many churches planted in every province in Cambodia. Because God has set eternity in our hearts. And I'd love... <laughs> I'd love to be able to put my feet up in my proverbial lazy boy. I don't have one. But if I had one. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, Jesus said. Where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. And lastly, number seven. Unlock the treasure of generosity. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, 17, as for the rich in this present age, charge them, Rob, elders, deacons. I want those who are rich to put up their hands. Don't do it. But if you did, I would charge you in Jesus' name this morning. Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides with everything. They are to do good and be rich in good works and be generous, to, ready to share, storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future. I close with, how do we do this? The Father is seeking such people.
this morning. Isn't that amazing? Our Father in heaven is seeking this morning such people. He's seeking you because you are his treasure. He's seeking fellowship and company with you. Isn't that amazing? Are you hiding from him like Adam and Eve were? He's seeking radical freedom today. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. To proclaim the good news to the poor, to, to, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are, are oppressed. The spirit of the Lord is upon me this morning to set at liberty those who are bound up, those who have got locked and lost treasures. We want to see that released for Jesus today. He wants, he's seeking for radical hunger. Bible says the eyes of the Lord go to and fro over the whole earth, seeking those whose hearts are wholly his. How are you doing? This morning, the Father is seeking such people. He wants radical obedience and it requires radical faith.